Welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. I'm your colleague in medicine and your coach in life, Dr. Aaron Wiseman. And I am so glad that you've joined me for another conversation and a bit of kick of encouragement in the butt because I am all about helping you take care of yourself, your life, and your practice. Because no more living in a place of burnout, brokenness, or despair. It's time to live your life that is joy-filled, sustainable, and one that you absolutely freaking love. Well, in this episode today, I am talking with Dr. Stephanie Byerly, and we're talking about self-care. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode because Dr. Byerly is actually an obstetrical anesthesiologist who talks about being in a male-dominated field and how she found self-care how she describes second victim effect, and how she copes to get peace in her own life. Towards the end of the conversation, we talk about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship and why it's so important for all of us to start advocating for both in our work life. Check out those links in the show notes. You'll want to go hang out with her on her website and check out her published paper that she mentions in the conversation. And then also stick around afterwards for my kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Stephanie Byerly. I'm so glad to have you today. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. So I am an anesthesiologist and I worked at UT Southwestern in Dallas and I am the head of obstetrical anesthesiology. Uh, I'm a professor there, actually about to celebrate my 21st year here. And um, yeah, I have two wonderful daughters that are now 22 and 23 and raised them since they were three and four as a single parent mm. um, and a full and full-time position and um, new focus really over the last several years has been wellness for myself and for my colleagues especially female physicians after going through a couple of bouts of pretty severe burnout myself but I do realize that at the same time that that I was burned out as far as work, it was really had to do a lot with my personal life also. Things were very chaotic at that time. And I see some of my younger colleagues and even, you know, my same age colleagues struggling. And so it's, it's my passion now is to promote physician wellness and really help people figure out what works best for them. Absolutely. You were speaking my language, girlfriend. <laughs> Thank goodness there's a lot of people now that are really on the bandwagon about wellness because we all really need it. We do. We do because we are all grinding down into the ground and it's just not sustainable. No more, I say. No No. more. Right. I like to call it career sustainability for other terms and I really hate the term burnout. Moral injury, I think, is more would be appropriate for physicians. I just think lay people would not understand what moral injury means, but we do, understanding what we do. And um, I think that we all we all carry things that we've seen over the years and what we've, we, we have had to do to people to take care of them, what we've seen. I work in the operating room, so I sometimes see some pretty extreme things and those things never go away. And I think they affect us for, for the rest of our lives. 
Absolutely true. I was just talking with a colleague about this the other day, how, um, you know, HIPAA is supposed to be patient protective, but I think HIPAA almost hurts doctors because not that the law itself hurts us, but then we start to develop an idea around it. And even in safe spaces, we aren't able to talk through those stories, talk through those yes. events that we need to release, that we need some healing on those wounds. Actually, you know, the second victim effect, you know, is exactly what you're talking about. And yep. we're kind of the walking wounded and we, we become depersonalized and, you know, um, cynical and emotional exhaustion. And it's really, I think, a defense mechanism that we form so that we can come back and do the things we do every day at work. But it surely takes a toll on our personal lives, our lives in general, work personal absolutely death by a thousand cuts that's for sure you know and everybody experiences it a little bit differently and so i'm really glad to have your perspective um coming from i'm family medicine by training mm -hmm. so but i think at the end we kind of all come to a similar awakening and so that's why i love your word today so we're going to be talking about self-care so tell me a little bit more why you picked it what um so as I said, you know, being a single parent and raising two daughters and then being very, um, very involved in my job for me being a doctor, like I'm sure all of us feel it isn't what I do. It's a big part of who I am. And so when there were things in my personal life with my kids or when I was married or in a relationship, when that was kind of seemed to not be going well, the same thing seemed to be happening at work. So I knew a lot of it was my own stuff, but there's only about 20% control the physicians have over their own wellness because the other 80% is really controlled by the organization, the culture of medicine and how we are dictated to what we can do. So I really, I wanted to do a lot of self growth work and figure out what part of this is mine because there had to be some of it that was my part but really try to build up some boundaries to learn how to make it in sort of a tough world and, and being in an anesthesia, just like other women in medicine, I mean, surgery is still a very male dominated profession. And so um, just, the, and the whole being in anesthesia and being in the surgical arena, like I said, is a very extreme pressure filled environment. Um, so I really had to, to build up some ways that I was going to be able to cope with work and take, care of my children and get some peace in my life. And so that's what kind of brought me on this journey. And as I said, a lot, a lot of self-growth work, a lot of different kinds of therapy and learning, you know, how to help myself and other people. And I was actually really fortunate to go to a retreat given by Georgetown on resilience and self-care, a three-day retreat, which literally changed my life and gave me a lot of techniques to help myself and help others really work through this. Right. Well, I'm curious to hear then what self-care works for you. So for me, um, definitely exercise is really important. Eating healthy because I, I, you know, they say you are what you eat, but I really do believe that's true when you're not eating well, like most of us do in the middle of the night, or we think we deserve to eat bad food because we're on call. We just, we just don't feel good. So that my faith is very important to me. And I, I try to tell people in medicine, a lot of people lose their faith and whatever you believe in, you know, tr please try to keep that alive in yourself and don't lose that because I think when things are out of control, we think we have control over everything, but when we realize we really don't, and it usually happens when there's some kind of catastrophic event with a patient, if you don't have that foundation to keep you to have some inner peace and not be fearful all the time, 
I think that that really hurts people. So my faith is extremely important. Uh, I do go to a Buddhist temple that is a, a modern Buddhism just for meditation, for inner peace. So I use that a lot. And I also have great friends that I love to spend time with and my children. And I've really had to, to learn that I have to make time for myself. And um, not just about work, although I love what I do, but you can, I feel like if you're in medicine, you can become obsessed with medicine and it can take over your life 24 seven. So I've really had to learn how to put up boundaries. One of the biggest things for me that I'm really fortunate about is being able to help other people. And I've had some events in my life with my children where I've gotten to learn some things about how to help other people that are going through very chaotic, really fearful times. And so I, I, for me, helping people in a different way, not just by providing anesthesia and taking care of people in the hospital, but helping people otherwise that are struggling in different ways. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think I... I hear a lot of my own like self-actualization through you. So thank mm -hmm. you for that. Yeah. So the thank question you. on the flip side is what self-care hasn't worked for you? <laughs> well, um, what hasn't worked for me? Um, I think when I try to do things that are maybe not realistic. So I set unrealistic expectations or goals for myself. And like, I'm going to go exercise five days a week when I can't because I'm at work and then I get upset with myself and I've just had to learn that I can only do what I can do. And I'm going to set realistic goals for myself. Uh, and so that, I think that's probably the main, main thing. I'm kind of one of these, or I used to be like a little bit of an addictive personality. So if I really got into like CrossFit or something, I did it until, you know, you beat, beat a dead horse and then you realize, okay, I can't keep this pace up. So trying to have realistic expectations for myself and I'm trying to actually do more reading for myself, not medical reading, but out of the medical arena, a lot of the wellness stuff. I just love reading and I'm actually doing a presentation at work on Thursday for my department about wellness because a lot of physicians just don't believe in it. And I think a lot of physicians are afraid to even allow themselves to think about it because they might actually like fall apart, you know, the fear. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, so I, so we're doing that on Thursday, which I'm really excited about. And so anything like that, that is really, is just really wonderful for me. Yeah. Again, I think so many of us, for so long, we've lived an unrealistic life and schedule that when we start making changes, that is one huge lens in my own life that I've known that I've had to continually keep manually adjusting as well. Yes. And, yeah. and, and okay. Well, and you have to, and, and we're not super people, you know, we're just like everybody else. We have a higher incidence of mental illness than people in the general population. Our suicide rate, obviously, you know, as we're all hearing about is going up and up. So we really do have to start taking care of ourselves. And, and as a woman, you know, we live in this cycle where there's this the patterns that we do all the time and we never say no because it makes us feel bad. And we always have to prove ourselves more than men do. And so we get into this vicious cycle where we say yes to everything. Uh, and I but think ourselves. that's a lot of pressure. And it puts a lot of pressure, you yeah. know, but there are realistic things that do happen when women say no in a practice environment because men, it's acceptable for men to say no. That's the usual response and that's accepted. But for women, you know, the unconscious gender bias that women do to other women and men do to women, you know, it causes a lot of issues. Yeah, I was just at a um, women in business luncheon here locally in my area that I attended, and they were talking about exactly this, that men are promoted on potential yes. and women are promoted on results. 
and Absolutely, so but, but, it's but a right. cultural but, mindset that we're going to have to continue to keep fighting because damn it, I want to be pro promoted on potential. Well, but this is the thing. Women have to prove themselves so many times over and over to even get promoted. And women are over-mentored and under-sponsored and men are sponsored all the time. And I know most people don't even know the difference between mentorship and sponsorship, you know, but women get mentored on their personal lives, not their professional lives. And it's very sad. Yeah. So we are one, you know, we're, I'm working on a lot of things through my American Society of Anesthesiologists for women specifically. So we are trying, we are, we are every day we're, we're pushing forward. Well, and this was really cool. The luncheon that I was in, it was actually for, um, the automotive industry. Um, mm. and so they were talking about the exact, but it's so cool because there's a lot of parallels. I love getting out of our own like sector and hearing about other women in business. Cause they were talking about the exact same thing. Like mm. there's a lot of women that don't understand what professional mentorship looks like. Yes. And I would love for you to go in and talk a little bit more about sponsorship because I think that's a huge educational point that you can bring. So, so mentorship is when someone talks to you and gives you advice about you maybe you should do this or take this path to get where you want to go with your goals. But sponsorship is when actually somebody usually that's more senior in their career who has, has a lot of people that they know and they've kind of moved up the ladder. They actually promote you into positions as far as calling someone and saying, Hey, this is a great person. Look at this person for an interview. And so they get you in touch with key people or, or actually can promote you into other positions where they actually move you up the ladder. Because women, we if you look at academic physicians, which are well studied, women get promoted less. There's probably, you know, some reasons for that, but but if you look in if you if you basically adjust for time of service, credentials, women are definitely promoted less than men are and they get less grants, they get le less papers accepted. I mean, there's just so many things that women suffer because of that. Yeah, and tenure so, is a huge one too, definitely. Yes. And so this whole thing about sponsorship, it's it's a difficult situation and again, like we discussed, men are sponsored all along the way and people actually with men they actually pick people that remind them of themselves and you usually promote those people like you were saying on potential and not actually a lot of times on what they actually can or have been doing yeah exactly i know there's several medical associations who are working on this especially among medical education you know younger um, adjunct profs or mm -hmm. um, associates, you know, they're, they're trying. I know here I work with um, IU School of Medicine. And so there's a, there's a little bit creeping movement with that. And so I'm always really encouraged yes. to hear about yes. it in other areas too, because we're, we, we're not going to get this ball rolling any faster if we don't start getting more pressure and more, you yes. know, pushing against all the friction that's going on it. So I love to hear what you're doing um, in the anesthesia world because, because like you said, you guys are a male dominated field. And if you can kind of speak up, I know one of our um, good friends, um, she's an ortho, which is another highly, you know, mm -hmm. male dominated mm -hmm. oh, definitely. Special, yeah, definitely. specialty. And so they're doing quite a bit um, with women in ortho too. And so, That's wonderful. yeah, it's so good that, you know, we got our seat at the table 
but it's still not it's still not what it needs to be. And so well, I applaud it, you for doing this. Well, well, thank you. And you know, women just, they really need a lot of coaching because I think what we do is we've grown up in the social, um, cultural biases. So we ourselves picture ourselves in certain roles and because that's what we've been raised with. And I think that, um, women, they, we don't know how to negotiate for ourselves. Well, uh, so we won't fight for ourselves. We'll fight for other people, but we won't fight for ourselves because we don't think that we're worth any more than we are. And that's, that's one of the big things that needs to change. Yeah. I opinion. always remind my people as I'm coaching them, confidence is a skill, just like suturing. You know, you have to practice it. You have to like botch it up a few times and then learn from it. And so I, that's Absolutely. the same thing with negotiations. It's the same thing with most things that we think are really hard and we weren't born with it. It's like, oh, no, no, sister, you got this. We right. just got to brush up on it. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Well, tell everybody about the paper that you had mentioned to me before we got on the recording, because I'm really interested in this. So I was very fortunate um, to write a paper uh, that went in international anesthesiology clinics called Female Physician Wellness Are Our Expectations of Ourselves Extreme? And this was for all physicians. And actually, there was a lot of information based on the business world, but talking about the obstacles that we face in academic medicine. And, and it's based on academic medicine mostly because that's the easiest to study because it's a finite group of people who get regular surveys versus maybe private practitioners but there were you know some of that in there also but it talks about the many obstacles some of which we just discussed about getting promoted there's a 20 percent uh, pay gap and actually looking at the newer studies from 2019 female anesthesiologists are actually making less and female or and male anesthesiologists are making more so the pay gap is actually widening and if they look at objective data about years of experience credentials they there's no objective way to justify the pay gap and so they're literally writing in these studies now that it's this unconscious gender bias it also talks about in our societies, like say for my society, the American Society of Anesthesiologists, there's there's a paucity of female leaders, editorial boards. There's not a lot of women who are editors in chief of editorial boards. We talk about your personal life, and so they're actually saying now for women in medicine that if you don't have a supportive partner, that you should stay single until you find that person because what happens frequently is you marry another professional and you go into a relationship thinking it's going to be very egalitarian. I'm going to do half. I'm going to do half. But the Harvard business studies will show you that men say they're going to do that until it starts affecting their careers. And then the women pick up the slack. And of course that's not all men, but also women do 80% of the domestic duties, female positions. And so that's a huge, huge burden. When is there a good time to have a child in residency? There's no good time. Talk, and so I discussed the attrition rate of female surgeons. They looked at a, a, a bunch of surgeons who had graduated and then had been 10 years out of training, and 50% of them said they would advise a surgery resident never to get pregnant during residency because it's just so horrible, the things that you have to go, to, go through. And so there's a lot of other things in the paper that I discussed. I discussed these four patterns that women we all pretty much are in our whole life. And when I read this book called What Works for Women at Work, um, I couldn't believe that it said these four patterns that we're in all the time. And some of it are prove it again, which as I was discussing, 
happening before we all just do things over and over and over to prove ourselves because women usually have to prove themselves more. And there's just these three other obstacles that we face. And when I read that in the book, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been living my whole life in these four patterns. So it, it talks about sexual harassment also. So in academic medicine, the numbers are still the same back from like the 60s and 70s, the incidence of it with a smaller amount of female physicians then, it's still happening just as often with more female physicians. And some people say their career is devastated by that. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of obstacles that we face. And it isn't that we just blame men, but men need to understand so that they can actually help us. Go, girl, go. I'm going to put a link of that in the show notes for everybody who's listening so we can read it, promote it. Shit, I'm going to use it on some grand rounds. So Thank if your you. ears start burning, then you know it's me spouting well, all your goodness out into the world. I, I appreciate it. It's really becoming a big thing. And I'm very fortunate, too, that um, in January, I'm going to get to present at the American Society of Anesthesiologists business meeting, a panel about why it's so important to have women, women of all colors, um, that how, how much we bring diversity and how we've saved businesses in the real world, in the business world, because of what we bring to the table and how important and necessary it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am so glad to have had you here on the podcast for all of my listeners to hear this. I've recently actually had a few students reach out to me and be like, hey, can you have some like other specialties besides primary care? And, oh. peds? and I'm like, I don't, you know, Wonderful. recruit them. They just come as they are. So I'm so glad now I can be yeah. like, boom, anesthesia. Yeah, Go get it. Yes, absolutely. And I am so thankful. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Okay. So also in the show notes is going to be your website, physicianhealer.com. Yes. Yes. You said it's not totally fluffed up yet, which is perfectly yes. fine. But to all the listeners, if you want to hang out, find out more about, head over to physicianhealer.com. Thank you so much. Gosh, so much goodness in that conversation. I hope that you picked out what was most meaningful to you. And thank you so much for Dr. Byerly coming on the podcast, sharing the passion that she has about helping her female colleagues in medicine and what she's doing in the world of anesthesia and surgical specialties. You are a rock star, my friend. Keep up the good work. Okay. Now for this kick of encouragement. You know what I really took away from the conversation and what I've been having lots of conversations about is advocating for yourself at work. And so the part when we talked about mentorship and sponsorship, that holds a huge place in my heart right now. I myself have personally felt like I've got passed over for opportunities because one, Someone didn't advocate for me. They didn't sponsor me to say, hey, Erin's got potential. Let's give her a chance. Let's send her to some leadership training. Let's get her in a position on some committees so she can start learning the ins and out of our organization. And two, I felt like there wasn't the structure in place that if I just wasn't part of the main institution, that there wasn't an entry point. So I'm so excited to be talking about this, how... Um, those who are further along the path in their career can help everyone push forward to get a seat at the, the business table, at the executive table, at the big table in the organization and really have a voice because a rising tide lifts all boats. 
truly it does. And when we can start breaking down some of the cultural biases that that were put in place um, for women, like pettiness, like competitiveness, when we stop tearing ourselves down and we start lifting each other up, my goodness, it's going to be an unstoppable tide. So I encourage you, look around and see where can you ask for someone to mentor you? Where can you ask for someone to sponsor you if they know about a position that's coming open that you're interested in or something in leadership or something in research or something clinically? Where can you go out and extend the first ask so that maybe it can set you up for a trajectory that you couldn't even imagine in your life and your career moving forward? And on the flip side, if you're in a place of power, where can you start reaching out to women that you know who could you see potentially have that potential to excel? Where can you mentor them? Where can you sponsor for them? And for everyone who's out there thinking, girl, I don't have time to do more. I don't want to put any more on my plate. It's totally understandable. But what I would encourage you to do is say, what needs to come off of your plate so that you can reach your dreams? Is there something in your heart that you always wanted to do but is now taken a back burner because life has piled on so many responsibilities to you? Let me tell you, you can offload some of that. You don't need to be Superwoman or Wonder Woman. You can reach your dreams. You can take care of your family. You can have a wonderful life. It's just finding what that balance is and also learning to say hell freaking no to the things that are no longer serving you. I'd love to keep more talking more about this subject. If you have any thoughts, shoot me an email. Find me on social media when I post this episode. I'd love to hear comments for you. And if you are finding this podcast to be helpful in your life, the biggest compliment that you could do for me is share it with someone else. Tell them how it's affected you and encourage them to listen in. Because I really feel it's not about the likes. It's not about the comments. It's about who this reaches and how it can change their life. So as always, my friend, please remember your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye.
Silence.